Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with authors, artists, activists, theologians, philosophers, political pundits, scholars, philosophers, and a host of others about their work and the lens through which they experience life. I engage my guests in a free-flowing conversation that's entertaining, unexpected, occasionally bizarre, and hopefully enlightening above all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. My guest is Kai Emmons. Her newest book, Weather Woman, is the story of meteorologist Bronwyn Artaire, who discovers she has the power to change the weather. Feeling out of place in her doctoral program in atmospheric sciences at MIT, Bronwyn drops out and takes a job as a TV weather woman in southern New Hampshire, much to the dismay of her female mentor, Diane Fenwick. Living alone by the Swampscott River, enduring the indignities of her job, neglected by her Boston boyfriend, then dumped, she discovers that her deep connection to the natural world has led her to an ability to affect natural forces. When she finally accepts that she really possesses this startling capability, she has to negotiate a new relationship to the world. Who will she tell? Who will believe her? How can she keep herself from being seen as a kook? And most importantly, how will she put this new skill of hers to use? It's a great book, and Kai and I had a great conversation about it. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I give you Kai Emmons. Kai, welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm, it's a pleasure for me to be here. It's great to have you on. You've written this terrific book, Weather Woman. It's interesting because I, you're, you're from Oregon. I'm here in the Northeast and the Southeast. We just got hit with a hurricane. So weather is, is prominent on cable news. And there's like nothing sort of more infuriating sometimes than the cable news coverage of weather, right? Of the hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I know. I know. I, I completely agree with you. And it, weather is definitely on our minds out here in Oregon because of all the fires that we've had recently. Um, and, you know, j- just generally drought conditions for a long time, for quite a few years, really. It was funny, too, that they had this like weather person. I, I, it was all over social media where they were actually like faking the wind like they're you know they're 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 looking like they can barely walk and two people are behind the person just walking normally. <laughs> You mean this was a broadcaster? Yeah, yeah, it was a broadcaster who was faking like they were walking into wind and could barely stand. And you can see passersby just walking. You know, it's raining, but they were just walking. Yeah, you know, normally. Let's dramatize this as much as we can. It's like already dramatic. Yeah, it's like weather porn. It's just basically what. Exactly. Yeah. So and that yeah. Oh, so the, the 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 character, the main character in this book, Bronwyn, is someone who. Is she in the beginning of the book we find her with this decision to leave graduate school and, and and leaving graduate school at MIT she's also kind of leaving her friend who kind of convinced her to go there and she really she's clearly someone that is bright or else she wouldn't be at MIT but she, for some reason she's got like imposter syndrome she doesn't feel like she fits in she sees sort of the looks and, and the way people talk she sees that hey I don't belong and she makes this dramatic choice to go be a weather person, like a TV weather person in New Hampshire. Right, right. Uh, so, yes. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, she feels very out of place. I think you're right in, in naming it as the imposter syndrome in this this academic program, not because of the, the, um, the science of it, but just she feels like um, 
there are a lot of people who are kind of mocking her and deriding her. And there are two particular people on Bruce and Jim that she thinks of as always kind of laughing at her behind her back. And one thing I should say is she comes from a very working class background, a single mother. And, um, it, this is kind of an elite school and there are a lot of people who, who come from elite backgrounds. So she feels that insecurity. And then the other thing is, um, the woman who got her there was somebody who, who was her undergraduate um, mentor and now has sort of, uh, they became close, when, especially when Bronwyn's mother died. And then, so she's coaxed her into the program. So leaving the program is a little bit like, um, it's, it's hard because she has to defy her mentor, defy her mother or her surrogate mother. And um, it, uh, yeah, but, but she's insecure. I mean, I think at the beginning, she's very insecure. You're, yeah. Yeah. And then like one, two punch, you get in the novel, then her boyfriend breaks up with her and it's just like the worst breakup. You know, it's one of these where they're, you know, they're having a, a meal, they're about to order and, and she kind of figures it out. What are you seeing someone else? I mean, and, and the, the rehearsal of her relationship, I mean, there's this one scene where she talks about this lingerie she bought at Target and she kind of parades into the bedroom and, and, you know, he looks at her askance and she's like, well, I did come from this working class background and I guess I have to watch my P's and Q's. Like the, the, her capacity to sort of self-analyze and self-deprecate is, is miraculous, right? I mean, she could kind of really just play these things over and over in her head. It's like, and for any of us who have ever felt insecure, it's, it's wonderfully therapeutic to read her, her sort of rants about herself, right? <laughs> Because she's in so much worse shape than the rest of us, you mean? Is yeah, that, is yeah, that well, yeah, or, or it's like I'm not alone in those awful insecure right, exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah, that that I'm glad you picked up on that lingerie incident because it was pivotal for her. It made her feel really cheap, and you know she was doing it to be sexy, and so there was nothing worse than having a moment that she had styled to be sexy turn into something that was actually um, something she was going to be mocked for. Um, another occasion where she's mocked. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting because she is someone who people find attractive though. I mean, there's an instant she gets pulled over by the state trooper and he, she just, she's charming. Like the figure she cuts and he realizes she's the weather person. And, and, <laughs> you know, by the end of these thing, if your boyfriend ever gives you any guff, you let me know. And, and, right. and, and one of the, somebody at the weather station invites you to this wedding and she, are you still single? Because I want to set you up with my rich, hot cousin. And I mean, she, there, there's, it, it's weird because her, th this kind of charm and effervescence she seems to have is in tension with her own sense of self, which is kind of a mess. Yes. I mean, I, I think that's not an uncommon phenomenon, actually. I mean, especially, I don't, I, I can't speak for men, but I think a lot of women um, feel deeply insecure in the world, even though, you know, on the surface, they're functioning fine and they, they look perfectly okay. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that's true for men, actually, when I say that's true for women. I'm, it, it's, isn't that sort of the human condition that we all may act as if, and, and yet there's, there are all these undercurrents of self-doubt. Yeah, I forget what movie it is. I'm feeling too much about myself. No, I f I'm right there with you. I mean, I think this is there's this movie. I forget what it is where John Goodman is a character, in it, and this this kid is asking him about being an adult, and he says, "Kid, what you don't understand is we're all just making it up as we go along." And and, and, and you think right, like you, this just happens in life, right? We think, well, if I just get the good SATs, you know, get into the good college, get the good job, meet the right partner, get in the right neighborhood, and it seems like the goalposts are always moving. That's right. 
And yeah, that, that's right. You set up these things that are going to be the end of everything, the end of or the portal into moving to, to to a smooth life, to an uncomplicated life. And of course, it never happens. Maybe when you die. Right. And I mean, in some ways, life is this maybe a long journey of trying to feel comfortable in your own skin. I mean, when we right. when we see some like when we're around someone like that, it is remarkable, right? I mean, you exactly. can sense it and you it's where did this person come from? <laughs> That's true. I I know. I I've started um in the last few years doing yoga and I see some of the people who are, are teaching me have arrived at that point. They seem to have arrived at that point. Um you know, there's a, a certain kind of a, a peace, a peacefulness in their bearing, and they seem to have. I mean, maybe it's just strategies for dealing with all that other stuff. I don't know. Enough downward dogs, and eventually, maybe your chief is going to try it. But then, you know, so so as she, so Bronwyn, you know, after this breakup, she's in New Hampshire, and she, her friend, she's with her friend, uh, uh, old friend Lanny, yeah. and they're caught in this torrential weather storm. Right. And it's interesting because she, she, there's this line, you know, we're in New England, the weather changes every 15 minutes. So it's this very interesting weather place. And yeah. she miraculously, like like Thor, the thunder god or something, or the ex-man uh, storm, she, she can control, the, she stops the weather. And it's very clear that, it, it, I mean, it could be coincidental, but it seems pretty strange. And her friend has this sense that something supernatural has happened. Right. Her friend uh, witnesses it and is able to name it in a way that Bronwyn can't quite. In fact, Bronwyn has had a couple of instances of of altering the weather before this. But even though we see it happening, maybe as readers, she she's not quite naming it yet. She's not saying anything about it. She's not even to herself. So having Lanny there says, no, you definitely did something. I saw it. Own it. You know, let's figure out what this was. You know, and after there the campsite what it is yeah and then there's and this- you remember the scene where Lance saying, oh, remember that movie that we saw together you know carrie or the one where the goats collapsed or whatever and um you know what is this what is this right right the uh, oh the movie oh yeah the the the, the, the like- one where george clooney's in it and they're trying to control the, the, the go- yeah 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 and so that and then we have this other scene where it happens again and at this wedding that she's invited to and, right. and the weather right. is terrible and, and it's a bride, you know, it's the wedding day and the rain and she has this strange conversation. It's almost rude. Like, is this really breaking your heart, this weather? And, 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 yeah. and the bride yeah. says, yes, she storms out and she does it again. Right. And then she's in a fog and she's kind of like, what happened? And it's clear. And, you know, and she saved the she saved the wedding day. Right. And I, I think um, th- that situation is kind of opens the door to um, looking at how other people are going to react to her power. I mean, because the, the woman who's getting married, Nicole, she seems to immediately kind of say, yeah, like Lanny. Yeah, you really did this. I see you did this. Whereas Archie, her friend, is really not ready to make that leap. And then, you know, as as the story goes on, we see people at different points on that spectrum, you know, some complete believers and others, major skeptics, others, you know, some others that, like Vince that will absolutely never believe her power. Yeah. And, and at the wedding scene, it struck me, you know, it's it's interesting that women, we socialize women to nurture and take care of other people. Right? We, we socialize boys very differently than with girls. Right. right. And so... 
it, it, it struck me that her this power is always attuned to other people. It's it's saving her friend or it's saving the wedding. I mean, it's always other directed, very much like her life is other directed. She's always thinking about other people's expectations, who she is in light of this failed relationship or this sort of, you know, d- disappointing misfit identity at school. And it's almost like the weather power yeah. parallels this other centeredness and restlessness in herself. That That's a really good observation. I think that that's true. And one of the things about that wedding situation that she feels a little odd about is that she feels like this is a significant power and she could use it kind of for the greater good, but um, she's using it to stop the rain at a wedding. That seems very trivial to her. And yet she realizes that, um, that Nicole feels very upset about it. So you're right. It's all, it's all to kind of make things better until we get later in the book. I think um, when she's thinking more globally, I guess, you know, yeah, yeah. Which she, I mean, she eventually winds up in Russia and the tundra, and she is thinking about climate and and climate norms. And but yeah, yeah. it's interesting. She she as she's coming to grips with this power. The funniest thing is she goes to this like guy in Oklahoma that's this kind of tornado chasing weather hero, and she kind of is like, "Look, I can control the weather." It's just the funniest thing because I'm thinking of that like. Amy Schumer or somebody playing this woman in a screenplay and, and, and that, like in the movie, I feel pretty or something, you know, that kind of, Hey, look at me now. Like I've got this. And it's just expecting, Hey, well, of course I'll team up yeah. with you and we'll do And he's like, all right, let's call the president. No, seriously, get out of my office. And she's kind of like, <laughs> and so you're like she, it's like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, why, you know, I mean, this, I, I see that scene as a, a really evidence of how much she's deluded herself because she's watched this guy over the years on television and really felt an affinity with him. But of course, it's a very one-sided affinity. He has no idea who the hell she is. And so when she goes, um, she experiences the full force of, of that, that delusion. She's almost taken him on as a, another kind of mentor, a mentor in absentee. You know? And, uh, I, I thought that scene was very tongue-in-cheek funny, too. Yeah, I enjoyed it was it. hilarious. And, 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 but then she winds up meeting some very dear people uh, yes. uh, that are kind of salt-of-the-earth, pious, wonderful, warm people. And she stops another – she stops this tornado and, and really, again, has – a deeper awareness of this power and people kind of these people in Oklahoma are taking it and they really believe her. Right. And, and that's an awakening kind of time. Right. It is. And, and I think at when that happens, that's when she begins to feel like, um, I'm trying to look at you. Uh, that's when she begins to feel that, um, she can do something more significant with her power. And so she's kind of scanning the country really for uh, trouble spots and which ultimately leads her to California. But I think, as you say, that it's stopping those tornadoes in in, um, Oklahoma where things really escalate for her. And, I mean, it's yeah, so much more significant than stopping rain at a wedding. Yeah, right, right. She has the sense at which she could, you know, th- th- these sort of exactly what we're talking about these disasters you're seeing on TV. She, yeah. could, she could be. You know, it's interesting because in modernity, one of the things that happens so often is we're often in this position where we're bombarded with images of catastrophic things that we can't do anything about, right? And that we're we're not connected to at all. And, and she's the rare person that could actually do something about these catastrophic things that we all see, right? And and the weight of that kind of begins to bear down on her. That That's right. I mean, and she, she doesn't even at, at that point really know what the limits are of her power, but she does know um, that 
that she needs to test it, should we say, and and find what her limits are and how how what her range is even, you know. I, I don't know if you remember, but after she does the storm stopping on, on Mount Washington, then she's kind of checking the weather to find out how we're like, how far did this go? Was it, was right. it did I, yeah, did I affect things in Maine? Did I affect things in Philadelphia? <laughs> yeah. And all the while, it's interesting because she's got this tabloid writer, Matt, who is, he's just taken with her immediately. Like he's, he's sent to check this out. And, and he's another one. He's kind of a lost soul in his own right, right? His parents think he should just become a plumber and he's kind of this tabloid journalist and he's sort of looking for himself. And it's almost as if, he finds himself in his finding of her, right? And and he sees something in her. Like he 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 sees her uh there's a, there's a sort of he he sees the, her specialness in a way that I don't think anybody had in the in the, in the book so far. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think they both see in each other the the, the specialness, the and um to some degree I think she brings out in him his special gift. He says, "Enough with the tabloid stuff. I mean, that's not my best self." And wants her to kind of recognize the same thing. You need to do this, you need to uh activate this power and use it in the best way that you can. Um and I yes, I think you're right that you know, I, I think in love relationships, the best thing is to be seen, to be fully seen, you know, to be um, for and seen for all your capabilities, as well as, you know, maybe the things that you're not so great at, or, but but to be seen. Yeah. And, and accept. Yeah. You know. And there's almost like an imputation that goes on. Well, we, it's funny because when we use that term imputation today, it's always negative, right? It's always, right. well, you imputed bad motives. But there's a sort of old, it's out of date now, but a positive where you impute, the Reformation talked about the imputed righteousness, you know, when, when you, it's like that you're cloaked in this, uh, the righteousness of Christ or something. And, and there's a sense in which there's an imputation going on for each of them that, 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 that they, they, they bring out something, the best self of each other. Yes, exactly. Which so often exactly. is kept down in the rest of their relationships. Right, right. And, you know, she resists that a little bit saying, you know, don't, don't expect this of me. But he, he kind of insists, he hangs in there and insists. And um, she has already affected him in terms of bringing out his best self in getting him to leave the tabloid. And, and um, I mean, she didn't ask him to do that, but it just, it's the impact of her presence, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I knew that I was trying to uh, create a character who was different from Reed, the first boyfriend who dumps her. And I think his most, I mean, we don't know a lot about him, but he, his most striking characteristic is that he's very cocky. And Matt is, is not, he's very humble. And, you know, we can see that in the way he takes care of his parents or expects to take care of his parents and kind of loves them. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that struck me as as I was reading the book is that there's almost nothing in this life we can control. Right. And 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 we, we have illusions of control and modernity, especially because we try to control. our And then when there is a weather disaster or something, we realize how fragile every the, the world we think that's so secure. And, and yeah, it's funny that that she that that Bronwyn has this sense of 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 disempowerment so often. Right. But ironically, she can control the weather, which no one can control. Right. (laughs) It is is wild, isn't it? And and I think you're right. I mean, I'm struck by this again and again, you know, as these disasters get more significant um, with 
how much we are taken aback by the weather as if, or we're almost indignant. How dare you flood me? How dare you, you know, kind of pummel me with rain or, or lightning or wind or whatever. Um, whereas, I mean, we, we, I, I guess I want to say we really don't have much reverence for the earth. I mean, I can't imagine any uh, uh, Native American ha- having, at least in days of yore, having had such a sense of indignation or shock. But we really do have this feeling that we can keep things under control. Yeah, we don't have to plan around the weather as much. Again, once in a while, we, 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 there are certain activities. But in general, we feel like late modern life, it, it, we have such a mastery over so many things. And yet, and yet we have a mastery of almost nothing. You know, our health is fragile. Right. Situations are fragile. And it seems like the less we're i mean the opposite of love seems like control right <laughs> right right, right. And, and it seems like this is what both uh, matt and bronwyn seem to learn that, that there's there you know i think of bronwyn early on and, and there's there's this wanting to grip life and have some control and yet the tighter you grip it the more it slips out of your fingers right and so the the disempowerment almost increases um that's right that's right but then she her, she learns gradually through vulnerability to hold things to seemingly with more of an open hand, and, and things become more empowering. Strangely, the, the 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 looser the grip, the stronger she becomes. She, that's right. And and you see, or I mean, when she lets Matt in, you know, and um, and then also lets Diane in, uh, then things begin to go go a little bit better for her. Um, I think that's true. I was I was thinking also about, you know, these things that we don't have any control over, but we don't really acknowledge that we don't have control over them, how we we tend to um, trivialize them. We, we try to make them trivial. Like when you think of a meteorologist, being an on-air meteorologist as a kind of a trivial thing to do, um, we make fun of them. I mean, there are a lot of movies where they're, they're kind of, um, they're made fun of. I mean, you think of... Um, um, Groundhog Day, or um, Nick Cage was a, a meteorologist in in some movie. I can't remember the name of it, but at any rate, there we we do try to. And when you think of a, a topic of conversation that seems trivial and one that anyone can engage in, it's the weather, right? <laughs> I mean, that you know, you're sitting by a stranger on a on a train or a plane or something, and you say, "Oh man, what isn't this weather? Whatever, you know." Right, right. Really? You're almost saying nothing. When you say it, yeah, it has no import. Fatic expressions or fatic, yeah. Um, so, and I think that's a way, I mean, I guess that's the way we really do feel about the weather, that we, that it's not that important. In the grand scheme of things, yeah, and then, and then until it is, right? And, and, until it is, yeah, right. It's it's it's, it's fine it's, until we're not, you know. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going and you can help launch several other podcasts projects i've got in the works so i invite you 
to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Samantha Konauer, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. It's interesting. The novelist Barbara Kingsolver, she spent a year of her life, I think, eating with her family, eating only what they could get locally, you know, and that changed her whole perspective on reality because you just there's seasons months and months and months you're just eating very similar things because you're not you know it's not hey january i want strawberries i'm going to get strawberries you know it's it's it's, you 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 have this gratitude for things like seasons when when the earth gives forth certain things that you can have and other times you you can't have it and 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 when that when that you you remember just our significance or or lack thereof in the world when you live right exactly i i think about this kind of uh, on a somewhat frequent basis because out here on, on in the Pacific Northwest, we're all waiting for the Cascadia quake. And of course we never know if it'll come n- tomorrow or even in our lifetimes, but we're told that it could come any time. And so I look around, you know, the, where I live and I think, okay, well, we have these pear trees, we have these apple trees and fig trees and how, what could we sustain ourselves on if we were really cut off? You know, um, it, it, at this season, it would be great. Come winter, not so much. <laughs> One of the things, too, that's interesting about the way Bronwyn and Matt meet it is it is it is kind of fortuitous. I mean, it, it, it's not... It, I think about the way so many people are meeting these days yes. at, online. And, and I always think... And my my experience with my friends who are who are online dating is that it's like a job interview, right? You you you, you put all of this anxiety on the front end, and the first date is so anxiety ridden. And 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 if it doesn't go well, you, you I'm a bad consumer. I didn't read the car tea leaves, right? Am I being lied to? Or others? Right, 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 right. It seems like again, it's the control mechanism. Whereas when somebody, what's interesting with Brown and Matt, they're just kind of thrown together, they're thrust together, and so there's not the anxiety anxiety build up on the front end, right? They can just sort of connect and experience each other without these sort of pre-negotiated tensions and things that so often in our control-oriented technological world are, are now built into romantic encounters. That's right. And and they have the opportunity actually to observe each other a little bit. You know, um, he goes to the studio and watches her on air and then you know, I mean, it, it's not perhaps a great deal, but enough, you know, in the um, in the way that maybe is the way we all should get together. We we observe each other in situations. We, we there's something about the way the other person operates. We like and then we, we kind of come together. I know exactly it, 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 it. I was happy to be able to. <laughs> well, I can't honestly imagine writing an online dating situation. It, it just doesn't seem like that much fodder for a writer. Oh, well, I'm sure there would be. But I mean. It's interesting. I think 
depending on how many friends you have that are doing it and and in and really it, it being a sort of a struggle i mean it, mo- most of my friends that are doing it are women and it just happens to be those are the ones that are single right now that I know. And, and it is arduous. I mean, and the stories are peculiar and strange and, and, and I mean, so I guess if you had enough story because the the human condition kind of comes out in it, uh, but it is, you would have to be immersed in that and enough relationships, enough friendships where that, you know, is the kind of drama of, of life. Yes. Yeah, you know, actually, I take back what I said a minute ago, because I was thinking about um, my my ex-husband was doing online dating, and he ended up uh, connecting with my hairdresser, and they got together <laughs> to date, and then it was like, oh, wait, you don't happen to know Kai Emmons, do you? Well, yes, I was married to her. Um, so, you know, there are... <laughs> Can you stick with the hairdresser at that point? I mean, is that... Do you well, lose? They, do you lose the hairdresser yeah, too? It was, I mean, it was a done deal at that moment. They were not gonna. I, I mean, it would a, a not done deal, should we say? Um, it all. They they said, okay, thank you very much, goodbye. So were you like, hey, I could have saved you the trouble on the front end if you? <laughs> <laughs> I had known. <laughs> I was amused by it though, and as was she. I think, although we haven't talked about it. So, yeah. You are. It's interesting the the backdrop that weather plays in this book. And again, it's not. I mean, it is. It's interesting because it's not. We were talking a little bit before we started recording the the podcast about there's there's a genre called cli-fi apparently the climate fiction and and some people are saying oh look at the but that's not how you saw the book i mean it's much more of a human story than it is a climate story right absolutely i mean i i well for one thing i i can't imagine writing something polemical i mean you know certainly i think climate change is a disaster i mean the way we're approaching climate change is a disaster but i wouldn't set out to write a book with that trying to prove that point no, I was interested in what it would mean to actually have that power because, I mean, I think I've often fantasized about having that power myself and maybe even had as a child little feelings that I could control the clouds and whatnot. Um, so, no, I was really interested in in how you would negotiate that and what that would mean, again, for your identity and for your place in the world. How do you find a place in the world if you have an extreme power like that, a, a really supernatural power. And I often um, wonder when, like, when I, I've when I've taught undergrads and had to sort of do icebreakers on day one. I've often asked people like, you know, which tell us your name, your you know what year you are, and what superpower you'd want to have. Yes. And you can only have yeah. one. You can't be a superhero. You've just got to pick no. one power. And it's interesting because we would get in these interesting discussions about what that says about you. Like if you want to be it's, invisible or if you want to fly or if you want, you know, these things, psychologically, they come from somewhere, right? These fantasies. Exactly. I, I'm fascinated with that, too. In fact, I was reading, I, I'm actually writing an article about books with um, with people with superpowers, about women with superpowers, but I'm not wanting to write about the dystopian uh, futuristic ones where there where there's a kind of a battle, usually a battle between good and evil. I, I just want to write, uh, I, I read books. I want to find books to write about that are books where there's a single individual, like, like Weather Woman, where an individual is operating in a realistic world with a, a single power and has to negotiate that world. So at any rate, I was researching this, uh, superpowers in general, and I found one 2017 survey that said that women chose most frequently this, the um, 
the superpower of being invisible or being able to be invisible. And I really found that fascinating on a psychological level, because of course, in some ways you could say that women are already invisible. So um, what is that? I mean, is it fully immer- yeah it's it's interesting there's a feminist theologian Marge Suhaki who yeah. wrote, who wrote this uh, essay called the sin of hiding and basically she was saying that the problem with this augustinian legacy in the west is original sin is always interpreted in terms of pride and overexertion and she's actually that's not a female problem the, the shadow side of the human condition of females underexertion is is hiding your with not stepping forth and being an agent and but sort of desiring to sort of become window dressing and, and, and that invisibility is almost embracing the 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 social pathology that women are put into that's right and you can really see that operating with uh, with Bronwyn you know that that she is has this tendency to, to hide rather than sort of proclaim herself and I mean I think that that the arc of the book is that she learns or she at least begins on that path to be is to sort of claiming her strength and claiming her power her, her general power, not just the weather power, but her power as an individual. It, um, it's interesting. You, you remarked a few minutes ago that you, you wouldn't set out to <clears throat> to write a kind of climate change morality story. I mean, is, is some of this in general that if if morality in literature is prescriptive like that, it just automatically turns us off. I mean, if it's preachy, if if we hear the message too much, it overwhelms the art. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. It's not, I mean, at the same time, I think there is kind of a, a moral, um, uh, there are always moral underpinnings to novels. I mean, that emerge partly from the writer's perspective on the world and whatnot, but, um, and, and the nature of the story. But you're right. I mean, if it's too preachy, no, it, you might as well, A, you might as well read an article and B, nobody wants to be preached to. Nobody wants to be, have somebody kind of saying you need to change and you need to change this particular. I certainly would never presume to do that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the lessons have to be, you know, they've got to be descriptive, not prescriptive, right? Right. Descriptive. Exactly. And I, I think most novelists feel that way. I don't know. Uh, too many novelists who, even when they sort of have a strong agenda, um, who who would opt to do something that was really prescriptive. I wonder also, as I I was reading, I was thinking with Bronwyn as as the protagonist here, is the weather, the, the, the weather control, how much of that comes from her not being a child of means and being a child of a single parent. And so environment in general doesn't feel uh, as secure. And so the, the, this, I mean, the irony is that a lot of her insecurities are, are from an early environment that's unstable. And now this sort of insecure person who probably has some of that insecurity from it unsa- can control, can make the environment stable. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a very interesting. Well, I think, there's an element, um, uh, to some degree, she escapes from her early environment um, by dissolving, you know, l- looking at the clouds and dissolving into the environment in a way, becoming invisible socially, but not, um, and developing this this capability, or maybe she has it really from birth, which is to, to feel sort of in a very uh, sensory way, um, the environment, the air and the, the forces of light and whatnot on her and through her pores so that um, it, she, and yet she's not very good with people. 
I mean, she doesn't have that facility with people, but she does have this other facility. And I think it begins as an escape. And I think the escape from a pretty bleak upbringing, you know, a mother who's a little bit uh, hypervigilant and um, just kind of not very pleasant circumstances, you know. Um, when Barbara Bush died, John Meacham, the historian and commentator, was saying that George Bush and Barbara Bush were the last generation that were that were kind of born adults. I mean, you know, they, they you know, at, at, at 20, they were adults. I mean, it, and you know, he was contrasting that with sort of presidentially Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and even George W. Bush, who there's long stories of finding themselves, you know, and, 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 and searching and wandering. And I wonder, is that is part of that broadening experience why a, a book like Weather Woman really connects you know, is something that it connects in our culture because more and more we're not the, we're not the sort of World War II generation that have to be adults at like you know, as adolescents where exactly. people, people are, are finding themselves later and later in life right and then maybe finding themselves and then finding another self and then yet another self and I mean, I think part of it is um, the economy, you know, people used to get these jobs and hold them for most of a lifetime. And so that kind of solidifies an identity in a way that, you know, jobs don't do for us now. You know, we might have any number of, of jobs over a lifetime. And so you can't kind of link your identity to the job so so readily. Um, so, yes, I, I do think and, and I think Bronwyn, I mean, I, I've written a sequel and in that sequel, she has she yet. She's gone into hiding at the uh, um, at the beginning. She's in hiding because she's so afraid of the consequences of a, a wrong move and, and how that could actually harm people. She's probably excessively afraid of that. But so she comes out of hiding out of necessity and then has to figure out her next move. And it, um, so uh, she, too, is, you know, still I mean, still going on to develop a more of a sense of herself in the world, a deeper sense or a wider sense or whatever, however we want to posit it. Well, I'm looking forward to following her continued journeys <laughs> because she's a really compelling character. And again, Weather Woman is, is a book for our time because I think a lot of people are, are trying to, you know, in, in, in a society that becomes more and more in flux for many people are trying to find who they are. And this is a great story of, of, of that journey. And, and you think about how, I mean, you know, sort of technology is so linked into this, of course, you know, um, we, we, we lose parts of our identity when old technologies die and then we have to move, you know, generate a, a, a sort of a, new appendages to our identity as new technologies take over. And um, I think uh, uh, that's part of it. Um, yeah, there's so much more displacement in the world now, right? That things change. I mean, most people in world history live and die kind of in the world that their grandparents lived and died in. And that's just not who we are now. No, not at all. I mean, you know, I myself have lived, well, I've lived on both coasts and up and down both coasts. And um, I, uh, but well, I would have to say, I mean, I'm still a New Englander at heart, but still I've had to kind of adapt to, to various different sort of regional places um, in my lifetime. And I like that. I mean, I actually, I don't know. I, I, I think it um, it's entertaining and, you know, uh, I, I don't know very many people, honestly, who have stayed in the same place all their lives. I, I mean, a, very, a, a couple here where I live in Eugene, but um, very few. 
Yeah, it's certainly more rare now. I mean, and, and will increasingly become so, I think, at least in the, you know, Western Europe and, and the United States, places like that. It, it is a sort of, it's becoming the norm. Yeah. When, but I know when um, my sisters and I left the Boston area, my parents were devastated because that was, that was home. That was where they lived all their lives and where our relatives had lived all their, their lives, you know. So that was disturbing in a deep way. Yeah, it's interesting because you, either you, when you would see on applications or something, address, permanent address. You know, I know. I, I think increasingly just the sense is my permanent address is where I am right now. <laughs> Did, is that, does that still appear, permanent address? I, 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 don't remember the last time, I, I don't remember the last time I saw it, but, uh, you know, I yeah. mean, but it used to appear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it still does, actually, when I think about it for, this, for students, you know, meaning home address, but still they say permanent address, you know. Well, thank you so much for writing Weather Woman. I'll be interested to see Bronwyn's next address in the sequel. <laughs> and, okay. uh, it's right now called Sinking Islands. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, and thanks for spending some time talking with me about the book. It's a great read, and, and thanks for writing it. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you, Scott. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you liked what you heard, Please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you've found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Kai for coming on the podcast. Do check out her book, Weather Woman. It's a great read. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well. <laughs>